we want to know not only what they think about what we're doing, but how they feel about what we're doing. Because ultimately, if they don't adopt the things that we're doing, they'll just go elsewhere. Welcome to Modern Business Operations, where we talk with leaders about how ops is adapting to our modern world. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Modern Business Operations. Today, I have the pleasure of hosting Wendy Pfeiffer, the CIO of Nutanix. Wendy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And, and you pronounced Nutanix right, which is a rare and good thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, for the listeners that knows me already, I'm the CEO and founder of Tonkin. My name is Sagi, so I'm actually pretty familiar with mispronounced names. But <laughs> Wendy, I would love if we just start with, with some basics. What is a CIO role? And I know that Nutanix is pretty big, but maybe a little bit of of what you know what you guys do and what is what is the role of a CIO? Sure thing. So Nutanix makes an operating system that runs on any hardware and in any public cloud. So it it's becomes this common layer of operation for technologies and workloads to run anywhere, which enables a hybrid operating model. At Nutanix, as the CIO, I'm responsible for all of the technology that both enables the company's business and enables employee productivity. So in that vein, I have things that are referred to as back office applications like ERP and CRM applications, employee facing applications and services, everything from the help desk and making sure people have you know, laptops and keyboards and mice to the environments in our offices. And then also a, a significant infrastructure estate, 25,000 servers and eight global data centers significant capacity in multiple public clouds. And so it's just a mix of all of these uh, sort of technologies in an ecosystem that we're trying to efficiently operate in order to make the business work. And I, I like to say that the IT function is, yes, technical engineering, but it is also operational excellence. And it's marrying those two things together in service of the people who are doing the work in the company. I think you touched on a big shift, I think, in people understanding of the different roles of both, by the way, the departments, but also even the technology itself, you know, as part of it. Like I think definitely most people understand what IT is, but I think to kind of connect to what you said, the operational excellence of it, the leveraging of the technology for the people, and and honestly, all the infrastructure that is even probably you know too technical for us to go into details, you know, in this session all need to come together to actually run a business. And I think that's super, super interesting. And speaking of, you know, running a business, there's a lot of change that, you know, that we've seen in the last couple of years. You and me chatted before this a little bit with, you know, hybrid work, remote work, you know, even like helping people do their work has very drastically changed very recently. What was your experience or how do you guys planned and executed to, to keep with the change. 
to answer this, I kind of want to widen the aperture a little bit. So I am Nutanix's CIO. That's my primary day job. I serve on the board of Qualys, which is a publicly traded cybersecurity company. I serve on the board of Sada Systems, which is a Google Cloud's number one channel partner. And I serve on the board of the American Gaming Association. I'm the only non-casino executive, a technology company executive on the board. And, and I mention that because it's actually all of these dimensions that are coming together in the transition we've been through in terms of work over the last couple of years. And so pausing for a moment, I, I promised myself I would never, ever talk about any of these things without pausing for a moment and saying we've all been coming through and in many geographies still coming through the horrific tragedy that is the pandemic. And and so I don't want to, you know, treat that lightly. And that's the biggest thing we've been dealing with. And then as we move forward as, as people, we have our, our same business missions and our same personal missions and our family missions, but those have been changed by the last couple of years in our global community. You know, one of the things that we're we're trying to do as we look at the future of work is we're trying to understand, you know, what worked previously and what have we learned in the last two years. And some of these lessons are are hard won, right? Some of these lessons are human first lessons. What's important about that is we're seeing some real shifts in the workforce, right? So we're seeing, for example, this the, this phenomenon, the great resignation, where millions and millions of people are resigning their jobs, many without a next job to go to, because they they're you know they state different reasons, but one of the reasons is they they don't feel respected, they they need different work life balance, they want more individual control and flexibility over how they work. Another thing that we're seeing is that Gen Z, very influenced by what the last two years did to their lives during the pandemic, and this is the first digitally native generation, they're entering the workforce as well. And, and so when we look at the future of work, we know some things. One, there's a, a tremendous virtual component, and that virtual component is staffed by digital natives who have learned to socialize and be educated and be productive in the multi-threaded world of the multiverse, the multi-dimension you know, digital environment that they live, live in in the gaming space and, and in, the, in the learning space and so on. Identity is a little more fluid, a little more neutral. And because of that, the, the traditional command and control and reputational uh, structures of in-office work are changing as well. And so we also have a, a generation of managers, middle managers and senior managers who were not acculturated this way. And, and in the midst of that, companies are making decisions about how they move forward, how they use real estate, how they organize teams, how they define roles, where they find their employees and how they uh, compensate and incentivize them. Even the definition of work is changing. This is certainly not true in all industries. I don't want to leave out the service industries, but even those industries have gone through a digital transformation. I would say... We were talking about digital transformation five years ago. Now we're talking about human transformation, fundamental transformation, and its impact on business, 
with technology as one component of that. And so this is, you know, human-centered design, interaction designs changing, the nature of work changing. And and I, I don't think I'm overstating that because of how we're seeing workers react to work in these in these broad swaths of, of movement and changes and, and so on. In the midst of that, how do I do my mission, right? How do I enable the business mission, you know, and, and enable employee productivity? Wow, employee productivity. How on earth do we ensure that that happens given this dramatic sea change that, that's happening right now? And of course, the answer is we're iterative, we're experimental, we're blending technologies from the gaming world and, and, and from the consumer space in order to see if we can undertake our mission. So very interesting work, very human-centered work, and, and in the midst of the old paradigm, which is, I would say, somewhat broken. A lot of people, when they talk about the pandemic and like the impact of, of it on the workforce, a lot of times they are looking at it from what people were used to and what kind of change for us or for them, people that have been used to it. But I think you brought in a very interesting point where it's that I don't think I've heard too much about is also like this timing in the center where it's new generation comes into the workforce, which even more changes some of the dynamics into, well, actually we are digital first, you know, that, that new folks are, we are digital first and we expect that type of flexibility and how do you balance all of it? Did you guys have a lot of hiring happening in the last two years that were remote? How did you, you know, in your operational role or or through the board roles that you play how much was that you know growth in talent and and you know bringing new folks to their workforce changed first of all 2 years ago Nutanix pivoted to be completely remote 100% of our employees worked remotely and it was oh, just wow. the past September that we started opening up some offices and allowing employees to flexibly return if they if they wanted to and we still have some locations that are closed due to the pandemic globally so we pivoted from being a mostly in-hub office company to being remote. And yes, 100% of, of the folks we've hired, we've hired through a remote process since then. It's worth saying, though, that as a global company and as a global tech company, although we had some, some centers of gravity and some hub offices, we had significant, uh, we had about 30% of our employees globally who were already remote from any hub offices. And so we were already working in kind of a, a hybrid model and and we're sort of pushing on the technology and the work process and the structure as we were growing anyhow. So, so you know, I would say that we were ready in terms of having some of the right ideas, but we didn't have, we hadn't been working those muscles very much. And suddenly, you know, we, it, we, we became weekend warriors, right? All of a sudden we were working the muscles all the time. The technology held up fine. The processes that we already had in place were, were stretched and refined a bit, but they were all right. I think it, it was just the never changingness of it that was a challenge. I'd say now we're pivoting to be a hybrid first company, to be a distributed company 
where we definitely want to encourage employees to come into offices if they choose, but we're also allowing flexibility. And I would say the biggest thing that's, you know, there's there's a lot of, you know, cool techie things I could talk about, but I'd say the biggest opportunity that's providing for us is to find and hire a much more diverse workforce. We can essentially hire employees anywhere and enable them to be just as productive in any roles as employees who might be working in hub offices. And so this sort of helps us to branch out of, you know, Silicon Valley and Bangalore and some of these centers of tech and into places where we might find folks who have deep technical skills, but might be in populations that can't travel to the hubs or might have to always work remotely. And it's also allowing us to work with organizations and agencies as sources of talent, you know, ranging everywhere from technology experts who might be in long-term refugee camps to technology experts who might be military veterans who may be a little more constrained in terms of, you know, their ability to move, but who have the deep skills we're looking for. And, And this is a very diverse group. So we're actually moving the needle in terms of our diversity of thinking and diversity of our workforce, which, you know, I'm hoping will also um, continually improve our product as well. This is probably the biggest positive outcome from this hardship of, you know, the last two years, where in a way the market, every market became, moved from a local market to a global market. And although you were already, as you mentioned, a global company with 30% remote, the talent pool to your, to your last point was still considered local, even even if it wasn't geographically local, it was conceptually local. And all of a sudden, once you open up the floodgate of like, talent is talent is talent, right? Like where do I can get talent because I'm not limited to any constraint really anymore. Then it opens up a ton of opportunity and almost an equalizer to, you know, some things that we, people that advocating for those things in the past could not even imagine that, you know, that can be achieved so quickly and so, and so fast. This episode is brought to you by Tonkin. Tonkin is the operating system for business operations, providing businesses with the building blocks to orchestrate any process with no code or change management required. Contact us at tonkin.com to learn how you can build complex processes fast. And if you're interested in staying up to date on all things business operations, join the Adaptive Ops community at operations.community. I do want to come back real quick on the great resignation because there's the flip side of this same thing. And I've heard a lot about it recently around employee experience. We've used to anyone that sort of like work with B2B or B2C, so customer to business, the concept of a customer experience is something that's been around for a while. But now employee experience is uh, got back to the headlines do you see that too, the investment in employee experience and becoming a more of a strategic top priority for companies? I really do see that. And and so just for a minute, I'll totally put my CIO hat on. You know, if, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yes, I do. And I do see as well that we have some real opportunities technically. For example, you and I are speaking to each other over public internet, I'm using my company laptop, but my gaming display, because it's better than the, the company display. 
you know, so we've got this blend of consumer and enterprise tech that's at work right now in our conversation. By the way, I'm also using a very gaming-like thing. I'm using one of those filters in Zoom that is like the Snapchat filters that kind of makes me look better, right? You know, and so we can sort of curate our image and so on just inside of these enterprise tools, which is very a very interesting concept. And then as we sort of kind of push that out a little bit further, you know, there's an opportunity for us to look at some of the technologies, the collaboration technologies in the gaming space, for example. You know, I'm a huge fan of Discord, which allows multi-threaded in parallel collaboration on multiple fronts rather than a single thread at a time, which is which is how a lot of people actually collaborate. And so we have these opportunities to make the enterprise employee experience to raise that experience up to the level of say the consumer experience or the experience I have on my iPhone, you know, that kind of consumer experience, or perhaps even the gaming experience, the the higher tech experience. We have that opportunity with, with technologies that are not only available to us, but already in use in this hybrid work context, in spite of us in IT, right? So that's one great piece of the puzzle. The other is that there are a number of tools and technologies now that are all about trying to help us with these experiences. So, for example, we're experimenting with a couple of technologies, a tool from a company called Workalytics, another tool from a company called ActiveTrack that are allowing us to understand the elements of employee productivity discipline by discipline and then allowing employees, for example, to see what we're looking at and maybe change their behavior. For example, book less meetings or you know turn off Slack alerts while you're in a conversation and just sort of helping to understand those, those experiences and also bringing those back into the office. We're instrumenting our facilities with these same components and these same controls. And back to Zoom, One of the things we've missed is when we come into offices now and we're sitting in a conference room, well, we're actually used to in those conferences, every face being visible and everyone's voice being able to be heard. And so we're actually going to this kind of awkward but kind of cool mode of everyone sitting around the table in the conference room and having people also remote and everyone logged into their own particular Zoom session so we can see your face and hear your voice and sort of have that interaction. That's kind of dramatic, actually. That's a dramatic behavioral change from the the notion of a meeting before was all about, you know, the alpha male sitting at the end of the table and all of us kind of leaning forward and every now and then getting a word in. And the guy on the phone was like, you know, who cared about the guy on the phone, you know, whereas now it's all about, wow, is everybody having a, a voice? And so that employee experience thing is a really big deal that we're looking at with all different kinds of technologies but also employees are insisting on this thing. And so many of us have also begun, I know my team began a couple of years ago and a lot of my peers, I've, I've helped them to adopt this. We measure net promoter score now of our employees in granularly, right? We want to know not only what they think about what we're doing, but how they feel about what we're doing. 
Because ultimately, if they don't adopt the things that we're doing, they'll just go elsewhere. We'll just lose our IP. We'll leave some money on the, you know, they, they have the much more flexibility and freedom than they did in these constrained spaces and, and localities. And so it's a revolution. We sort of have to listen if we, if we want to um, keep, you know, moving forward. It's fascinating. You know, I think where we started this podcast and, you know, most people are listening in. This is the fascinating part of this entire thing, right? With where this operation in you, when you described it earlier and it's a back office and it's sort of like quote unquote type of thing, there is no back office anymore. There's no back if it's all front office. It's no longer like, oh, someone needs a job and that's why you know they're working for a company. It's not, it hasn't been like that for a while in most industries, but it got extreme, I think, in the last couple of years. And just like a customer consumer experience, where if the experience is bad, you're just gonna switch vendor. I think that's kind of the reality that you know the the market is is waking up to. And maybe to kind of you know bring this home, what is maybe your advice would be for folks listening from different areas, different businesses, when they're trying to think about where is the investment in operations, in technology, you know, in processes or even just sometimes how to measure or think about it you know if you had to pick one or two for people to where to start what what would those be well i'll tell you what i will tell you a couple of ideas i have if you also share with me because i'm in learning mode on this one too so as a company what you've learned i'd love to hear too I read a book by a guy named James Clear. It's called Atomic Habits, and it was incredibly influential uh, to me. And it basically said that that no real change happens in in, in monolithic ways, but changes happen in, in very tiny increments. One of the ways that we can invest is in understanding the things that are taking the most capacity from our people, from our knowledge workers, the things that are causing the, the activities that are causing the most rework the things that we are unable to get right the first time because there's something flawed with the process or the tools or the technology. And if we focus on fixing small elements of the the tasks, the work that is causing the most rework for us, even fixing those small elements, tiny atomic items, can free up an oversized share of capacity in these same workers And then we wash, rinse, repeat, wash, rinse, repeat. Having that focus on finding the items that are causing the most rework, the most unplanned work, changing the smallest things about those items that we can find that, that are that are most problematic, using modern technologies and tools and process changes to make those changes can have a huge impact. I'll tell you a quick example of one for us at Nutanix. We discovered that we were terrible at meeting new requests for software because we had this, you know, whole approval process and we had we weren't we weren't sure what we were delivering software for and so on. So we chose the top 5 software packages that were requested outside of our standard. We built a process for delivering those autonomously and we started delivering those autonomously. 12 weeks after we started doing that, you know, the world hadn't ended. We hadn't, you know, overextended our license grants or overextended our budgets or anything else. But we had noticed a 
30% improvement in our velocity at answering all other requests because we freed the capacity of these requests that were causing wait times and, and rework and so on in just a small way. And now we had time to do more complex tasks. So I'd recommend looking at the small things and finding the ones that have the biggest impact and applying modern technologies to those first. I love it. It's almost like the butterfly effect of yeah. the, you know, the small things. I can return the favor and, and actually attach to a similar vein. One thing I've seen many times and and actually talked about many times is is that concept. And you talked about earlier, actually, with a human-centric approach. I think about it as a people-first approach to process design and technology. I think a lot of time we think about problems in ROI and return over investment from a data, a company perspective. You know, I need discoverability. I need you know, privacy control, I need auditability, you know, a lot of things that are very important for the company and not always think about different people and personalities that are part of that process. And what happened, end up happening, connecting to your, you know, the small things that can make a big difference is that sometimes like, yeah, it's okay. This person will just click another button here or, you know, fill this another thing. But that small thing might actually cause a massive impact on their work and, and effectiveness, but also they might not do it because of it. And so the entire thing, you know, won't actually work. And then yeah. again, so like it's a snowball effect. So I think we have an opportunity with modern technology, but also just with the right mindset to leverage the fact that experience for employees actually matter more than it ever used to be. And you wouldn't do it to your customer. So don't do it to your employee. You know what I mean? And think about it from that perspective. And, and, and it applies in many ways. One of them, I think, you know, the example you gave, but almost like a mindset into how to even think about those problems is something I've seen successful and I've seen more and more people adopt. I love that if we would do it our customer to our customer, don't do it to our employees. You know, it's almost the golden rule, right? You know, if it yeah, exactly. treat other people the way you'd like to be treated, uh, definitely. Exactly. Because they're your, your customers too, in a way, you know, they have, they have alternative and they're giving you their time, which is arguably the most expensive resource. Definitely. <laughs> well, Wendy, this was very, very enjoyable and, and extremely, I think, informative for everyone listening. If anyone wants to reach out or chat or learn what's probably best way? Is it Twitter, LinkedIn, or any other form? I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and Twitter. So feel free to reach out that way. But or you can always reach me at wendy at Nutanix.com. And I'd be happy to respond by email and connect as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for the time and, and for the great conversation. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed this. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Modern Business Operations. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at talking.com slash M-B-O-P-O-D. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes. 